I'm just going to come to to read and to pray. Um, we're going to be reading a minute or two just from uh, Judges chapter 13 uh, as Alan comes to speak uh, to us from that passage. Uh, first of all, just through the, the prayer gathering this morning for Ukraine, just been some of the things I've seen on, on social media this morning uh, for the church in Ukraine, for pastors, for leaders, uh, for church uh, goers there in Christians in, in Ukraine. Um, just feel, you know, feeling as, as we all are just so burdened uh, for all of the people there and what's going on. And I've just been drawn to uh, Psalm 46 this morning as we pray. I just want to read that uh, for us. Um, for the people of Ukraine, that they would know this, um, these truths, but also for the church there as well uh, as they gather this morning. And it says this, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, She uh, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Just going to move over to Judges chapter 13. Uh, just to read uh, from there as we come to, uh, to pray and then Alan will come uh, to speak to us. It should be on the screen uh, as well if you want to follow along from there. And again, this is God's word. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent to come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, a man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is it to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know 
that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with green offering and offered it on, uh, on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders, and the Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or showing us all these things, or announced to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Manahe between Zorah and Eshetol. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, gather to, to come before you this morning, uh, gather as your people, uh, we do so um, in freedom. Uh, we do so uh, without fear this morning. We do so um, without any sense of, of danger as we come into this, this building this morning as we meet together. And Lord, we can be so comfortable with this. And we can be so, uh, just take so much of that for granted. Uh, Lord, this is your day. This is um, when we gather as, as a church family, as your people, to worship you. And we're just so reminded this morning, our hearts are so heavy for uh, those around the world. In Ukraine, as we've been focusing on and thinking of, um, as we've seen the events of the last uh, few days, worn out. And we're so conscious of other parts of the world also where there's, there's war and conflict and persecution. And your people can't gather without that sense of fear of what may happen to them. But this morning for your church around the globe, Lord, we pray that you would fill them with power this morning. That whether they're gathered or scattered this morning, and we think of those in, in Ukraine where maybe one or two may gather this morning. Maybe small groups are gathering to pray and to worship. Maybe larger groups are praying and worshiping together. Lord, would you pour out your spirit upon them? Would you pour out your protection and your comfort upon them? May they know your presence in such a tangible way this morning. May you fill them with power. Just as we come this morning and ask you to fill us with the same power. Lord, we pray for your church uh, in Ukraine, in Russia, and all other parts of the world as well. And Lord, we pray that they would know you to be their refuge and their strength. Lord, in this, uh, this war that's raging at the minute, uh, Lord, we pray protection on the people. We pray uh, that you would intervene, Lord, that you are the one who uh, breaks the bows and the spears, Lord. And Lord, we are asking you and pleading with you to, uh, to protect people, to end this war, to end this conflict. And bring a healing, not just to what's happened over the last few days, but on a much deeper level, that the gospel would, would move and, and be poured out upon the people of that land and, and wider across the globe that people would turn to you as their refuge and their strength and their hope in a time of hopelessness. And may it be so for us this morning. As we come to your word this morning, may we treasure it. May we uh, seek to be changed by it. May we give you free reign to work in our hearts this morning, to convict us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to equip us. I pray for Alan and what he has prepared this morning. I pray for uh, the words that he will speak, Lord, that they will be from your heart and from you to us. May we be open to that. May we have our hearts open, our ears open to hear and to receive. 
fear of glory, Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks, Sally, um, and good, good morning, good afternoon. I think it is, uh, it is now just gone past, uh, gone past midday. Um, so we're coming to think about the story of Samson today, probably the best known of all of the, the stories of all of the judges, um, and uh, we know quite a lot about him. We're not going to have time to get into all the details of, of his story, but we'll try to, imp- try to, to put a, a little bit of a framework of the story in place uh, and, and have a couple of things for us particularly to take away um, and, and reflect on. But I want to begin by asking you to, to listen to a sentence that I'm going to read out. I think, uh, certainly judging by the first service, I think you'll recognize it. And if you do recognize it, just put your hand up. Um, here it is. It's a short sentence, and it says, this recording will self-destruct in five seconds, okay? So, only about three people. There's a few people smiling. Come on. You, you, more, more of you know it. And then it goes on to say, good luck, Jim. And it's Mission Impossible, um, uh, and, and it's Jim Phelps, who's this uh, special agent. Um, and I, by the way, remember uh, Mission Impossible. I'm old enough to remember Mission Impossible when it was actually a television program long before Tom Cruise tried to turn it into James Bond. Um, but if you've, seen, if you've seen it, and certainly if you've seen the old TV series, uh, you'll, you'll recognize the words and you'll know what's going on there. So he's agent Jim Phelps comes along and he finds this, uh, what in the day, back in the, back in the, the days of the TV series, was a little reel-to-reel tape recorder. Some of you have no idea at all what a reel-to-reel tape recorder is. You don't even know what a cassette recorder is. But it was, uh, the message was recorded on tape, and he would play the message. There was an envelope, and there were photographs of people who would be uh, important in terms of what his mission was going to be. The background of the mission would be set, the aim of the mission would be set, and then you get this message, you know, your mission, should you choose to accept it, you know, is to do such and such. This recording will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Uh, And then smoke would begin to envelop this little tape, and uh, true enough, the message self-destructed, the recording self-destructed within the next few seconds. Now, it's one thing to have uh, a message, a recorded message that self-destructs and, and, and graphically self-destructs in form of a tape that, that starts to just uh, go on fire. It's something else, and it's much more serious when a person self-destructs. And sadly, that happens. Sometimes there are people who self-destruct. There are aspects of their character, aspects of their behavior, that are never under control, and because of that, they destroy their own lives, they self-destruct. In a sense, that is what Samson does. Samson, um, this probably one of the best, if not the best known uh, judges in uh, all of the book of Judges, he's the last one to be named because the last few chapters, which we look at all being well, um, in a month's time, when we wrap up the series, the last of the named, the last of the named judges, there are four chapters given to him. Um, after the story of Gideon, Samson's story, in terms of the number of verses, Samson's story is the second longest. It's just four verses short of Gideon's. Uh, and it's so, it is so well known to us, uh, this, name of, this name of Samson. And one of the things you notice about him, apart from his uh, tendency to self-destruct, is that he's not a typical leader. He's one of the judges, but he's not a typical leader. He doesn't have an army. There's nobody following him. He's always acting on his own. He's an individual, and he seems to be an individualist. In fact, when you look carefully at how he behaves, um, he, he often just seems to be acting in his own interest. He's taking revenge on the Philistines because of what the Philistines have done to him personally. There's, there's really no sense of the glory of God or the welfare of God's people about him. He's an individualist. But despite the fact that he's an individualist and, and seems to be uh, almost distinguished from the, the nation of Israel, 
in fact, the Israelite leaders um, are, are wanting to say to him, look, we think you should calm it down, Samson. These people are, are rulers. You shouldn't be trying to overthrow them. Um, in spite of the distance that there seems to be between him and the, the nation of, of Israel, yet there are things, I think, which are true of Samson that are true of the nation itself. Uh, so, in some ways, when you look at his story, you're seeing the story of Israel in, 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 a, in, in a reflected form, uh, things that are true of him that are true of Israel. Let me mention a few of them. Um, there's a commentator called Daniel Block, and his commentary on the book of Judges, he lists a number of things that he, that he has observed. Let me just mention several of them. Um, one is the circumstances of, Samson, of, of Samson's birth. Uh, that was read, uh, Ali read that to us in, in chapter 13, um, and here's a family who were unable to have any children, and Samson is born there, remarkable birth. And there are many stories of remarkable births in Scripture, but even the nation of Israel is quite remarkable uh, for the way it begins, God's promise to Abraham. Uh, the, the nation is born again, remarkable circumstances there, and just like Israel is called to belong to God and is called to be an instrument for God's glory. So, Samson has a special calling that we'll say more about a little later. But again, just like Israel, Samson is careless with his calling. Uh, he's unfaithful to God. Um, he's, un he he's, he's inexorably drawn to foreign women, particularly Philistine women. There are several who feature in the story. And while the nation of Israel isn't just simply drawn to foreign women, they're drawn to foreign gods. And Samson and Israel both fall under the power of an oppressive nation. Uh, for Israel, it happens many times. It's one of the patterns in the book of Judges, which you're beginning to see, whether it's the Midianites or the Philistines or whatever, whatever nation it is. Um, and Samson falls under the bondage of the enemy cries out to the Lord in his oppression, just as Israel does on so many occasions in the book. And eventually, he's actually even abandoned by the Lord and doesn't realize it, just like Israel is abandoned by the Lord and doesn't realize it. And yet, we'll see at the end of his story that there's still signs of the grace of God. Despite what Samson does and despite his unfaithfulness, and despite of the fact that he's, uh, that he's abandoned by God, uh, in spite of all of that, God is still gracious towards him. Now, the saddest verse, I think, in the story, one of the, and it's one of the saddest verses in the whole of the Bible, comes in chapter 16. So, if you have your Bible and you want to look ahead to chapter 16, chapter 16, verse 20, uh, it says there, he did not know that the Lord had left him. It's so sad. Samson was a person whose strength came from God. The Holy Spirit is mentioned in relation to Samson uh, more than in relation to most other characters in the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord is mentioned seven times in the, in the book of, of Judges, and on four of those times, the Spirit of the Lord is specifically mentioned in relation to Samson. And yet he's so careless about God's presence and about God's work in his life, that he comes to the point where the Lord leaves him. And in verse 20, chapter 16, he did not know that the Lord had left him. And that leads to his capture. It leads to him having his eyes put out. And it leads to him, in the words of John Milton, the poet, eyeless in Gaza at the mill with slaves. What a terrible place he ends up in. Now, in terms of his story, we're not going to have time uh, to go through this in a lot of detail. We really need to spend several weeks on it. But in terms of his story, you'll notice that it really uh, is it's structured around his involvement with, four, with the involvement of four women. Um, the first one is his mother in chapter 13. Uh, she's the wife of Manoah. Her name is not given. And she has this encounter with the angel of the Lord who comes and promises that she's going to have a son. Um, and this son is going to be very special. Um, the second woman is, again, a nameless woman in chapter 14, uh, and her story really, his involvement with her, really sets up uh, chapter 14 and chapter 15 
um, what, is, what is going to take place there. She's a Philistine woman. Um, that's where Timna was. She was a Philistine. And, 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 her, and, and when Samson gets involved with her, it sets him up for conflict with the Philistines. Um, but it also prepares our understanding for something that's going to happen later. We're probably much more familiar with Samson and Delilah and the story of how Delilah eventually manages to extract a secret from Samson, the secret of his strength, and she betrays him to the Philistines. But you get the same thing happening in the story of his wife from Timnah. She gets a secret out of Samson, and she betrays him to the Philistines. And there's two main parts of the story of his involvement with her. The first has to do with him meeting her, of him being married, of their wedding feast for se- that lasts for seven days. It was a pretty miserable business because she cried her way through it because he wouldn't tell her the secret of, of, the, of a riddle that he had set. And the second part of the story, which is in chapter 15, has to do with Samson taking revenge on the Philistines because of what happens to his wife. Um, that all goes on in those two chapters around this story of this woman in Timnah. The third woman, chapter 16, is another Philistine woman. Gaza was a city in, uh, in the, uh, of Philistine territory, and she was a prostitute. And again, we see Samson is, is playing a risky game because he almost gets captured by the Philistines because of his involvement with this woman in Gaza. And the fourth woman is the best known of all of them, and she's Delilah, again in chapter 16. Now, she may have been a Philistine, like the previous two. We're not sure. We know that the area that she lives in uh, is, is sort of on the border between the territory of the Philistines on one side and the territory of the tribe of Dan on the other. So she may have been a Philistine, although she may have been uh, an Israelite. Unlike the other three women, we, got, we get her name. And again, like the Samson's Timnite wife, whom we've already talked about, she manages to extract a secret from Samson and then betrays him to, to the Philistines. I want you to notice a little detail between these two stories. Look at chapter 14, verse 16. So this is when Samson has set a riddle for the Philistines uh, he won't tell his wife what the, what the answer to the riddle is, and she's going on and on and on at him until eventually she gets the secret. Notice what it says in verse, 14, uh, verse 16 of chapter 14. She says to him, you don't really love me. Notice chapter 16, verse 15. This is Samson. Again, he's playing a bit of a game of brinkmanship. Delilah's trying to get his secret from him to betray him to the Philistines. And when he won't, say, he won't tell her what the secret is, she says in verse 15, how can you say, I love you? Interesting, isn't it? The parallel between the two. And we'll pick up on the significance of it in just a moment or two. That story with Delilah ends up with Samson being captured and humiliated, but eventually it has a sting in its tail when Samson gets revenge on the Philistines and destroys a whole load of Philistines uh, as he dies among them. That's the, that's the way the story uh, uh, un, unfolds. It's all very well for us to look at this story and see it like a kind of history lesson. And there's Samson, and he reflects the nation of Israel. There's things that are true of him that are true of the nation as a whole. And there's Samson, and it's interesting that his story is structured around his involvement with these four women, his mother, his wife, this prostitute, and then Delilah. Uh, it's, it's interesting to observe all of that. But is there anything that we need to learn from Samson? And I think there is. Go back to this idea of self-destruction. And I want us to notice a couple of things that hopefully will be practical for us and challenging for us. And the first one is this. I'm, I'm sorry, could the guys at the back, guys, if you're not going to listen, can you just maybe sit quietly? Would that be all right? Thank you. Um, the first thing to notice is, or the first thing, the first challenge for us is that we need to be careful with our calling. Be careful with your calling. Samson was born into a special calling. 
Uh, that's the whole significance of this encounter that his mother has with the angel of the Lord. And you notice that there are two parts to his calling. It involves a vow, special promise, a special relationship that he has with the Lord. It involves a vow, and it involves a mission. Now, you'll notice the details of the vow. It seems a little unusual to us. His mother is told, you know, uh, don't be taking anything of the fruit of the vine, don't be eating anything unclean. And when your son is born, not a, no razor is to touch his head. So some of you guys who've, this is your way of coping with, you know, the, the hair that has fallen out. Uh, I have not yet given into this, but some of you guys have decided, you know, if a lot of it's going to go from the top, might as well just take the lot off, you know. And then you do that, but then you see the thing is that some, some guys do, you know the way they do this sort of ups, upside down? Your, it looks like your head's upside down because you've got a beard, but there's nothing on top. Sorry, Ali. Um, but uh, do, do you, know the, you, you, know, you know the kind of thing? Well, Samson, Samson was not to have a razor that would, touch his, that would touch his head. His hair was to grow. Now, you know the story well enough to know that that's, that's going to be significant. But what's going on there is that this is connected connected with this idea of being a Nazarite. That's what, uh, that's what the angel said he would be. He would be a Nazarite. And we get more detail of what's called a Nazarite vow back in the book of Numbers chapter 6. Now, some of the details in number 6 are a little different from what the angel of the Lord says uh, to uh, Samson's mother. Um, there, there are a few little, uh, there's, there's just some slight difference in, in this. But it was clear that uh, the person who took a Nazarite vow would not take any fruit of the vine. The second thing is that they would have no contact with any dead bodies. And the third thing is that they would not get their hair cut. Now, this was a vow that someone could take if they wanted to set aside a, a particular season to draw near to God uh, in, in, a, in a special relationship with, with Him. No fruit of the vine no contact with dead bodies, and they would, they would not get their hair cut for the season of that vow. Um, you know, you can maybe think of, a, of an example that, that maybe is more familiar to us. Uh, we probably don't do, na we don't do Nazarite vows. Um, but one of the things that, that many people will do starting next week is we'll observe Lent. People will observe Lent. Start on Ash Wednesday. You know, all the pancakes on Tuesday. And then, you know, um, there's Ash Wednesday comes along. And then for 40 days, you know, you don't eat any chocolate or you, you know, you don't do this, you don't do that. People give things up for Lent. Some people do it just to lose weight, but other people do it probably because they're, they're wanting to seek God in a special way in preparation for the season of Easter. The Nazarite vow was a season. It was taken normally for a season where someone wanted to be specially close to God. And there were those three no's. No fruit of the vine, no contact with dead bodies, no visits to the hairdressers. Those three no's, and they all made up a big yes to God. Interesting, isn't it? Sometimes a yes to God is actually expressed by no to various other things. That's what happened with the Nazarite vow. Now, Samson was to be a Nazarite for all of his life. And when you realize that that's going on, that was part of his calling, was to be set apart to God in this way, you realize then when he gets his hair cut at the end, when he tells Delilah, okay, nobody's ever cut my hair, no razor has ever touched it. When you get to that point, you think, ah, that's why it's significant. It's not just a sort of general principle that if you grow your hair long, you're going to be strong. The, 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 the point is that that was part of his Nazarite vow. So to get his hair cut was to break his relationship with God, the special relationship that he had. Now, I think that actually there, there were probably were other ways that Samson had been careless with his Nazarite vow. Um, for example, if you read his story carefully, for example, you'll find there's an incident where he kills a lion. He then comes back to the lion and discovers in the, in the carcass of the lion, there's honey, which he scoops out and eats the honey. Now, a carcass of a lion with honey in it, well, it sounds like a dead lion to me, right? So he's gone near a dead body. So uh, you kind of wonder, was that already a carelessness that he was demonstrating? And when he, when he gets married to this woman in Timnah, 
the feast goes for seven days. And from what we know about ancient uh, wedding feasts for those seven days, well, there probably was a lot of the fruit of the vine that was around. And from what we know about Samson, it would be no surprise if Samson was actually indulging a little bit in the fruit of the vine. I know it doesn't specifically say that he did, but I kind of wonder. So when you come eventually to the haircut thing at the end, is that simply the final step where Samson has been careless with his calling? His calling was to be separate to God as part of this vow. But you also notice that he has this mission. And his mission is to take the lead to be the first person to start to deal with the oppression of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines are going to be around for a while, to, for some time to come. Samson will start, but he will not finish the job. They were still there when Samuel was there. They were still there when David was there. Remember the story of Goliath. Goliath what was Goliath? He was a Philistine. Uh, they were still there in the time of Hezekiah. They were still there in the time of Josiah. Uh, the Philistines were going to be around for some time yet. They were going to be a big problem for the Israelites. But as well as this vow, Samson has this mission of taking the lead in delivering Israel from the Philistines. Not an easy task. And it wasn't easy simply because the Philistines were more powerful than the Israelites. But there was a further complication, and the further complication was that the Israelites had basically got used to having the Philistines as their rulers and their masters. And so nobody thought that it was an idea to try to get rid of the Philistines. People just accepted their misery. They just put up with it. And so when Samson eventually starts to fight against them, and he's taking revenge against them, personal revenge for what they've done to his wife and to her family, when he's starting to do that, the, the people of Judah are actually more concerned that Samson is rocking the boat than they are uh, about the fact that they're being oppressed by the Philistines, and they're certainly not happy that someone has started to deliver them from the Philistines. You see that, uh, that in, in, in what they say to him. But God wants deliverance to take place, and that was Samson's mission, was to start it. So he has a vow, and he has a mission, and he can only carry out the mission as long as he's faithful to the vow. He can only carry out the mission as long as God is with him, and God will be with him as long as he's faithful to this vow. But he doesn't take it seriously. He trivializes his calling. And as he trivializes his calling, he finds himself in desperate trouble. Now, what about us? If I was to go around and ask you, well, tell me about your calling. What sense of, what, 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 what do you know about your calling? Um, do you have a calling? Some of you might say, well, you know, I mean, I'm, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a you know, a preacher. I'm, I'm not a missionary. Uh, I, I don't think I've got any particular calling. I just kind of get on with my life, go to my job, you know, and look after my house and, you know, go to school, do, do, do my thing. Um, and, and maybe you think, well, I don't really have any specific calling. Now, it's, it's a big subject, and I'm not going to get, I'm not going to overcomplicate things and get too far off track here. Um, but there may be more to that than you actually have already thought about. And maybe you need to be thinking about the way that God has gifted you or ways in which God has gifted you and opportunities that God gives you and how God leads you. And you may think, well, that's not, not much of a big call. I have never seen lights in the sky or writing in the sky that tell me that this is what God wants me to do. Well, that doesn't really matter, but you've, you've got gifts and you've got opportunities and maybe God is nudging you to, to use those in particular ways. But even more fundamentally than that, if you are a Christian, then you have a calling. You have been called to belong to God as one of God's people, and you've been called to follow Jesus as one of Jesus' disciples. That is your calling. And it doesn't matter whether you're unemployed or whether you're at school or whether you stay at home and look after the kids 
or whether you work uh, in a, a wealthy company, uh, or whether you're self-employed, or whether you teach Sunday school, or, or whatever you do, it doesn't, doesn't matter what you do, your fundamental calling is to belong to God and to be a disciple of Jesus. And that means that whatever you do with your gifts and your opportunities and so on is meant to be an expression of that calling. But when you think about this calling to belong to God and to be a follower of Jesus, you realize that actually Scripture's got quite a bit to say about calling in that sense. And so, for example, in the, the letter to the Ephesians in the New Testament, I spoke from a couple of parts of the letter to the Ephesians last summer. But one of the things that Paul does in that, in the first part of the letter, is he writes about the calling of these people. And he writes about how God has this amazing eternal plan. And in the context of this eternal plan, he has, he has brought people into his family. He's chosen them and adopted them. They've been redeemed by the Son and they've been filled with the Spirit and sealed with the Spirit to belong to God, called to belong to God. And he spends the first three chapters talking about some of the implications of that call. And then he says at the beginning of chapter 4, he says, Now, I want you to live in a way that is worthy of the call that you've received. Live in a way that is worthy of your calling. And so the second half of Ephesians has to do with the practical implications of living out that calling. Live worthy of your calling. And so when we look at Samson, we see an individual who had an extraordinary calling by God, who treated it lightly, who took it casually, who was careless about it. And the challenge to us then is to say, well, if God has called me, brought me into this relationship with Him, called me to follow Him and to belong to Him, called me to live a life that is worthy of that calling, I must not treat it lightly. I must not take it for granted. I must not use it simply for my own ends and my own selfishness. I must not just assume that, hey, I'm always going to be fine. I don't, need to be, I don't need to worry. I can just take this for granted. Be careful of your calling. That's the first challenge. And the second challenge is this. Be wary of your weakness. Be wary of your weakness. Samson's weakness in the story is very clear. His weakness was women, particularly Philistine women. Now, that is not a slight on women. That is about Samson and Samson's character. When it came to his relationships with women, Samson had no restraint. So he saw this woman, and he said, oh, I like her. I think I'll go and marry her. And then he saw a prostitute, and then he saw Delilah. He, he was, his heart was drawn by, by these women, particularly these foreign Philistine women. And the startling thing was that as he engaged with these women, these three women, the, uh, his wife, the Gaza prostitute, and then with Delilah, as he engaged with these three women, it put him in danger every time. It was a weakness. It was a susceptibility that he had. And he always assumed that no, no matter what difficulty his relationships would get him into, he would be strong enough and clever enough to get himself out of it. And so he never heeds the warning. And when we see him in chapter 16, in this relationship with Delilah, and Delilah says, Samson, what's the secret of your great strength? And we see him, and he, he, he makes a story up, and he says, well, it's this. And she, she brings in the Philistines, and well, it's not that at all. And then it's something else, and something else. And, and we're thinking, Samson, what on earth are you doing? Don't you remember that first Philistine woman that you fell for? And you gave away your secret, and she betrayed you to the Philistines? Don't you think that that could happen again? Why are you playing so carelessly? 
Why are you not being wary of this weakness? He puts himself in the place of danger. Doesn't pay any attention to his weaknesses. Someone has said that awareness of our weakness is the beginning of safety. <clears throat> awareness of our weakness is the beginning of safety. And so let me ask you a question, all of us. Are you aware of what your weakness is? Are you aware of what your weakness is? For some of you, <clears throat> maybe some of you guys, your weakness may be just like Samson, and it may be in the area of your sexuality. Could be something different. It could be anger. For some of you, your weakness is, is pride. You're a, a proud individual, which means that no one can get near you. No one will, no one will, will, will be able to speak to you. You're, you're self-sufficient. For some of you, it could be your, your lack of a disciplined tongue. For some of you, it could be greed. Something about you that's a weakness. Something about you that if you do not pay attention to it, could eventually lead to you hitting the self-destruct button on your own life. Samson ended up where he did because he didn't pay serious attention to his weaknesses. Years ago, when I was growing up, um, in the church where I grew up in, there were a number of, of men, old, older men with dark suits. I'm thinking, you know, maybe some of them weren't much older than I am now. I, I, well, actually, I think they probably were still older than I am now. But, you know, some of them were, were quite solemn and sober. And I remember a few things that some of them said. And, and one of them, one of them uh, told a story. Um, and it was apparently a story about somebody, and this is going back, I mean, we're going back a long time here, and this is an old man, so, you know, I don't know if he remembered the era when people went around in carriages and horses instead of cars. Possibly not. Um, but, but he told a story about that era where people had carriages. And so somebody, very wealthy person, uh, was looking for a coach driver. And uh, they, the interview process or the recruitment process involved several candidates. And uh, the question was, okay, you're driving the coach. How close would you go? How close can you go to the edge of a cliff? And probably some of them are thinking, I can go really close to the edge of the cliff. You know, and the guy who got the job, according to this story, was the guy who stayed furthest away from the edge of the cliff. I'm not even going to go near there, you know, he said. I'm going to stay well away from it. He got the job. That, that was the thing. And you, some of you think, listen to that and think, oh, that's a bit boring, isn't it? You know, surely you want a little bit of adventure. You want to see how close you can get to the edge of the cliff and demonstrate your skill uh, by, by getting to the edge and not falling off. You're thinking of the, you know, that movie, The Italian Job, and the bus that's dangling over the side at the end of it and all, all that kind of stuff. You, you know, you think, that, that's, that's adventure, that's exciting. And then you think, awareness of our weakness is the beginning of safety. You need to know where the cliff edge is in your life, and you need to be making sure that you're not playing games of brinkmanship by seeing how close you can get to the edge. And whether that's your sexuality, whether it's your pride, whether it's your greed, whether it's a gossiping tongue, whether it's just laziness, maybe, know, know your weakness. And sometimes, sometimes it means that actually you've got to be open to hear somebody speak into your life. Sometimes you don't spot your own weakness. Sometimes you think you're just fine. And it takes someone speaking from the outside. And that can be painful. I can remember an incident a number of years ago where I was in a conflict situation in the church where I was working. Um, and uh, it was, <laughs> I wasn't dealing very well with it. And it was making me very bitter, very angry. And uh, I, have a, I have a good friend uh, who, who challenged me about my attitude. 
Now, he was on my side in terms of what was going on. He, could, he, he reckoned that, that I was being unfairly treated. He was trying to do what he could to, to, to sort through all of that. But he could see in the meantime that I was allowing my heart to become hard and bitter, and he challenged me on it. That's called the wounds of a friend. And the book of Proverbs say that the wounds of a friend are faithful. And as I think about that, I think, you know, the wounds of a friend are, they may be faithful, but some, there's, there's still wounds, and wounds hurt. doesn't matter how faithful the wounds are. I've been through uh, major surgery um, for, for my heart, uh, and, and, and I can tell you that the wounds of that and the scars of that, they hurt for quite a long time. But I'm pretty grateful that somebody cut me open and fixed, and fixed the problem. You know, wounds hurt. But they can be done in the right way to be good for us. And maybe some of us actually need to be ready to listen to voices that are going to say, hey, I'm, I'm worried about you. I see this about you, and this is a weakness. And if you don't pay attention to that weakness, you're going to fall off the edge of a cliff. Samson's weakness destroyed him. And so might yours. Be careful with your calling and be wary of your weakness. But I want to finish in a slightly different place. Because I think this is a story of wasted potential. When you see a man who was so powerful, what would Samson's life have been like if he'd been a person of good character and the Spirit of God had been on him and he had pursued the presence and the power of God in his life. What would his life have been like? Could have been amazing, couldn't it? It's a story of wasted human potential. But it's not just that. It's a story of the grace and the sovereignty of God. I said towards the beginning that I think one of the saddest verses in the, in the whole story, the saddest verse in the whole story, and probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible is chapter 16, verse 20. He did not know that the Lord had left him. He wakens up from his sleep. Philistines have come, Samson. Oh, it's fine, I'll deal with him. He did not know that the Lord had left him. But if you go two verses beyond that, verse 22, you see one of the most hopeful verses in the Bible. Here's what it says. The hair on his head began to grow again. You know, how many men in this room have prayed that prayer earnestly? The hair on his head began to grow again. This has nothing to do with his image. But this has got everything to do with that sign of his strength. His hair began to grow again, and you're thinking, woo, this is going to be interesting. Will his hair once again grow, and will he once again gain his strength? And you discover that God had not finished with him. Even though he'd wasted so much, even though he'd self-destructed, God hadn't finished with him. And so in verse 28, he prays. And it's a mix of a prayer. It's a real mix of a prayer because it's full of personal vengeance and revenge. I want to get revenge on the Philistines because they took my eyes out. I want to get revenge on them. But at the same time, you see there's a there's maybe a note of humility in his prayer that has not featured in his life up to this point. Sovereign Lord, he recognizes that God is the source of his strength. And he asks him for one more strengthening so that he can take down the Philistines. And the Lord allows him to do that. He takes down more Philistines in his death than he had in his life. And so he's able to take his mission that bit further. That's the grace of God. Now, the Philistines were still going to be around for a while. I already mentioned this. They'd still be there when David came. They were there when Samuel was there. They'd still be there when David came. David was able to subdue them. But they were still there later when Hezekiah came. And the final mention in the Old Testament of the Philistines is in the book of Zephaniah, one of the prophets prophesied in the reign of King Josiah. And Zephaniah prophesied and said to the Philistines, the Lord is against you and will destroy you. So even though Samson hasn't been able to get rid of them, 
the Lord is sovereign and in his time he will deal with them. It will take a long time. And you realize from that that God's purposes are greater than any one individual. God's purposes are greater than any one individual. Now, by the grace of God, he calls us to belong to him. He calls us to be part of his purposes. But his purposes are so much bigger than any one individual, any, any one of us. And isn't it maybe important for us at a time like this, when our world is in the state that it is in, to realize and remind ourselves that God is sovereign and that his purposes are greater than any one individual. Any one individual except one, his son. And maybe it's a good day for us to remind ourselves of this verse from the book of Revelation, Revelation 11, verse 15. And with this, I'll finish. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you've, you've allowed these things to be written down to remind us of who you are, and also, Lord, to be able to see ourselves. And so we pray that we would receive the challenge of your word, um, that you'd help us to be careful with our calling, to be wary of our weaknesses. But Lord, we do thank you for your grace and for those times when we've experienced that you have not finished with us. And Lord, we also will just want to acknowledge today that the kingdom of this world is yours and it belongs to your Christ and you will reign forever and ever. Help us, Lord, to have our faith and our hope in that. In Jesus' name.